If you would open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, actually we're going to be reading a longer passage than was put online. We're going to be reading chapter 2, verse 12 through chapter 3, verse 16. I want to, we're going to be working through that verse by verse today, and so I want you to keep that passage open before you. So I spoke on these verses a, a few, uh, just a little bit last week, and uh, just very briefly, and so today we're going to go a little bit deeper. Before I do that, though, I just want to thank you so much for all your cards and your, your gifts to us, to Don and I. We, we really appreciate that, and we are so thankful to be here, to be serving with the people that are so loving and gracious, and so we just want to say thank you for that, and, and Merry Christmas, and Happy New Year, and so thank you so much for your generosity. So... Let's, before we go into the Word of God, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that as you work in these next few minutes today, Lord, that you will have your will and your way in us. Father, I pray that you will take these words that you have given me, that you've laid on my heart, and that you will use them according to your will. And Father, even now, even now, I pray that you will remove Anything that is not of you from my lips. Lord, may your word accomplish much in us today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, almost every Sunday I'm reminded of just the, the gravity of, of these moments. The gravity of preaching the word of God. The gravity of hearing the Word of God. And I think sometimes we get used to it. It's, I mean, it happens every Sunday. <laughs> so, you know, it's something that we kind of take for granted. But the Word of God is being presented. And as pastor, as a pastor presenting that, that's a, that's a huge responsibility. And it's sometimes you shake in your boots to say what God would have you say. To be sure that you're saying what God would have you say. You just kind of are overwhelmed. That you are speaking the word of God to God's people. And so I want to encourage you on your end, in a way, to be overwhelmed as well. (laughs) That the word of God is being presented, not the word of Brian, the word of God. And so receive from the Lord today. Receive from God's word today. And test it. When you get home, test it. You know, right now in your seat, test it. Make sure that what you're hearing every Sunday comes from the Lord. Test it. So, these verses have been before me in my quiet time of late. And I kind of wanted to share with you what where God has been bringing me. And uh, so, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting at verse 12. Paul says, When I came to Toroas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord... My spirit was not at rest, because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. We need to examine Paul's words here. Paul was discouraged not to find his close friend and brother in Christ, Titus. But Paul rejoiced that his journey was not in vain. God used every journey of Paul's life, every hardship, every trial, 
God used it all for triumph. In Christ, God always leads. That's what Paul says. In Christ, God always leads the Christian who faithfully walks with him in triumphal procession. In Paul's time, a triumphal procession was seen when the returning or the conquering victorious armies paraded through the city. And Paul is saying that no matter his circumstance, God leads him in victory. This is not dependent on Paul's health or wealth or mood. God leads Paul in victory. Paul is the victorious soldier following his victorious general in triumph. And so we are to walk in celebration of the victory that has already been won. That's when a triumphal procession happens. Not before the victory, but after the victory. The victory has already been won. And so we are to walk in a victory that has already been won, just as Paul did. In every moment, we are always to be in triumphal procession. Paul says in Romans 8, 28 and 29, a couple of my favorite verses in the Bible, Paul says, And we know that for those who God who love for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Paul knows that regardless of what comes, God will use whatever comes to make Paul more like Jesus. More like Jesus in character, more like Jesus in mission, more like Jesus in purpose. And Paul realizes that this is victory because Paul is surrendered to Christ so fully that Paul is only concerned with what Christ is concerned with. Let me say that again. Paul realizes this victory in his own life. He understands victory and can walk in victory and can see and experience and know the victory of God in everything he goes through because Paul is only concerned with what Christ is concerned with. Can we say the same? If someone who knows us, this is where the rubber meets the road, if someone who knows us were to write down a list of what they think our concerns were, would our concerns align with the concerns of Christ? This is why Paul has such victory. Paul can be triumphant regardless of what comes because nothing that comes can stand before Christ and nothing can equal Christ. Paul sees the victory of the Lord because he has abandoned his own earthly, worldly, self-centered battles for the battle, the cause, the victory of Christ. See, I think sometimes we think of victory given to those in Christ in a slightly twisted way. We think of it like this. We, hang on one second. I'll, I'll play you. I have a song I want to play. <laughs> we think of it 
like this. Yes, God desires for us to experience victory on a personal level. He desires his victory to be manifest in every aspect of our lives and to break every chain over us that is keeping us from living the abundant life that comes from following Jesus. But this triumphal procession, this victorious life is not about us. It's about him. And so we make the mistake of trying to say, I have victory in Christ. And we take that victory that is ours through Christ and we apply it to like earthly, worldly, carnal pursuits. That's not how it works, folks. Paul knows victory in Christ because he is walking behind the victorious general. What came to mind when I was preparing this was two different images. The one Paul is trying to present, a soldier in company of the general, the general leading them through the city in triumph. Glory given to who? The soldier or the general? The general. It's about the victory of the general, not the soldier. The soldier follows the leading of the general. God leads us in triumph. Without that leading, there is no what? No triumph. The mistake we make when talking about victory is that we tend to understand our victory in Christ sort of like this. We, we picture ourselves like Rocky Balboa, running through the streets of Philadelphia, finally leaping in triumph over the crowds and onlookers and admirers. See, we want to apply God's victory to our causes, to our fights. And surely God desires us to know victory in all things. But the truth is, we know God's victory. We experience triumph, as I've said already. We experience this triumph, this victory, as we are led. We are not Rocky Balboa, Christian. It is not about us. One image magnifies the general, the other, the individual. The victory is his. The triumph is his. The battle won is his. We experience that victory again only in so much as we follow his lead. Why do you feel that the church has been so unvictorious lately? Why do you feel you have been so unvictorious lately? Because we haven't been following our general. We experience victory when we follow our general's commands. Let's look at verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Let's look at that saying. He says, through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. What's a fragrance? It's the aroma, the smell, the lingering effect on the nostrils 
from incense or food. And we tend to think of fragrance in a positive terms. And indeed, in the Greek, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about a pleasing, sweet smell. God spreads a sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ through us. The effect that God leads through the Christian led by him is sweet. Through the Christian led by him. Through the Christian led by him. The aroma left is sweet. In verses 15 and 16, Paul continues with his word using word picture using fragrance. It's like the idea of salt and light. Aroma brings the idea of distinctiveness. If it's of Christ, it looks like Christ, it tastes like Christ, it smells like Christ. How do we know we are being led by God? How do we know we're being led by the Spirit? How do we know we're walking with Jesus? Those who claim to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. That which is of Christ will always resemble, will always smell like Christ. Beloved, what are you known for? What aroma do you spread? Those like Paul, these fragrance spreaders, these are the holy ones. And remember, holy means different. Different for God. These different ones in the midst of the world leave behind the impression of Christ everywhere they go. That's what Paul is saying. Look at verse 15. For we are the aroma of Christ to God. Just as Christ showed the world who God was, Christians are to show who Christ is. Those in Christ, those who as Paul are surrendered to Christ and the purpose of Christ... Those are to God, the aroma of Christ to the world. It's not simply the world that is taking notice of our fragrance. God also takes notice. Let's pay attention here. Paul is not saying to the Corinthians, he's not saying that they are the aroma of Christ to God in the world. Paul is talking about himself and his fellow missionaries. He's talking about those who have devoted their lives to the cause of the gospel. The Corinthians had a choice. The Christian has a choice. What impression, what fragrance will you leave behind? Unfortunately, not every impression we leave points to Christ. Often the effect we leave on the nostrils of man and God is offensive. And I remember an unfortunate impression that I made while a new Christian in high school. I remember it was in the cafeteria and I was talking with a friend about God and I was speaking rather judgmentally. I was condemning his his poor choices. And I can't remember what he said in response, but he didn't respond well. And because of my rudeness and lack of love, he rejected my message. So, what did I do in response? I stood up from my table and proclaimed, Well, at least I don't serve Satan. It's actually what I said. So, what was the fragrance I left with my friend? 
It certainly wasn't the fragrance of the gospel. It wasn't the gospel itself that left a stench in his nostrils. It was my pride, my arrogance. Beloved, the gospel will be offensive to some. The message of God's love and grace and redemption is often rejected because it carries with it the truth that we are not okay on our own. It carries with it the truth that there is something wrong with us. That there is an intrinsic need in us that we are powerless to fix or fill. And every human knows this intrinsically. And that is why we have psychologists and therapists and gurus and religions all in the vain attempt to fool ourselves into thinking we can fix ourselves or that we are okay and we just have to realize it. But the gospel stands firm against those lies. And so it is the stench of death to those who cannot accept it. But hear me on this. The offense of the gospel is far different than the offense I caused my friend with my sinful attitude. We are not given a license to offend simply because some find the gospel offensive. We are to go to the world in the same manner Christ went with. And the same message that Christ took. Yes, we go in victory, but we also go as servants. Remember the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 through 22. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though myself, though not my being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. Beloved, Paul went out of his way to have nothing about him that would cause offense other than the gospel. That is why Paul can say what he says. That he became all things to all men in order to win some. We think, we hear that, we think, why? How? How could he do that? Because Paul went out of his way to have nothing about him that would cause offense other than the gospel itself. He went out of his way to serve those he was called to reach, Greeks and Jews alike. And regardless of who Paul encountered, he resolved to have nothing in him or about him that would cause them not to be able to hear the gospel. Paul could only become all things to all men because he held on to the world so lightly and clung to Christ so tightly. Nothing mattered to Paul like Christ 
and the gospel. He didn't see people through political or social barriers. He didn't see people with labels or identities. And you know what else? He himself could not simply be put into any worldly grouping other than the ambassador for Christ. He chose to be identified simply and only as the apostle, the ambassador of Christ and nothing else. And he accounted everything else that was to his gain as loss compared to Christ. Beloved, rare is the Christian today that can say with Paul, I can and I have become all things to all people in order to win some. Make no mistake, the gospel is offensive to some and always will be. But we must consider that it is an offense to God for there to be else within us that might cause those we are called to reach to not hear the gospel. Beloved, let us never sacrifice eternal impact for our worldly convictions. I want to say that again because that is exactly what is going on. Let us never sacrifice eternal impact for our worldly convictions. This is why the Christian, especially the mature Christian, must be known as simply Christian. Not connected to anyone but Christ and Christ alone. If we cannot, like Paul, say we are able to be all things to all men in order to win some, if we see any group of people as Jonah saw the Ninevites, then the issue before us, according to the word of God, the issue before us, the problem that we must deal with, is not those we have been called to reach. The problem before Jonah was not the Ninevites, not the sin of the Ninevites. God was going to take care of that. The problem before Jonah was Jonah. If our witness has been spoiled, if the fragrance we are spreading is not the fragrance of the gospel, but one of worldly allegiance, then the issue before us is us. The issue before us is not our Ninevites. We are called by the Spirit to continue the calling for which Christ Jesus took hold of us. To know God and make Him known. We are called to be used of God to save sinners. Without prejudice, without allegiance, without worldly fleshly judgment of any kind. We cannot fulfill the call to impact eternity when we are controlled and owned by the temporary. I want to say that again. We cannot fulfill the call to impact eternity when we are controlled and owned by the temporary. Paul continues on, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To other, a fragrance from life to life. Paul continues on, who is sufficient for these things? Man, can you relate with him on that? 
Who is sufficient for these things? Notice Paul's truthfulness. I love the spirit-filled humility seen in the apostle. Paul knows he is not sufficient to live as he ought. Paul is saying, who is sufficient? Not Paul. This singular, holy life, this victorious, triumphant life that Paul has been talking about is not within Paul's power to achieve. Paul is not sufficient. But Christ is. Christ in Paul is. Christ in you is sufficient. Let's continue on, verse 17. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letters of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Amen. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You know, these Corinthian Christians that received this high praise from Paul, they were not always seen by Paul in this way. If we read 1 Corinthians, we see Paul is disappointed and mournful over the way the Corinthian church was behaving. But like the Ninevites, when they were corrected, when they were rebuked by Paul, they repented. When they were rebuked, they submitted to the conforming hand of the Holy Spirit. And now, here, Paul is rejoicing over them. Their lives are the evidence of the Spirit's work through the ministry of Paul. And once these Corinthian Christians were known for their worldliness, now they're known for their holiness. Now Paul says, you, Corinthians, You are the proof that God has used me. Beloved, there is no greater joy for the pastor than to see his people walking in triumph, led by God. This is not about Paul. It's about Paul's Jesus. Paul continues on. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ our God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul's victory, victory seen regardless of circumstance, victory seen manifest in the Corinthian church, Paul's victory is from God. Not from Paul. What hope we have in these words. For if we are honest, we know that we are not sufficient. We know that we get wrapped up in things we shouldn't be wrapped up with. That we have idols. That we have pursuits. That we have concerns. That we put ahead of our relationship and our calling. What hope we have. That Paul, the apostle, says, this isn't from me. 
This is from God. We are not sufficient, but the good news is we don't need to be. We don't need to be victorious on our own. We don't need to be perfect. All we need to be is led. Led by He who is victorious and is sufficient. God desires that like the Christians at Corinthians, that you become the letter of recommendation. Not just for the ministry of Troy Christian Chapel, but that you become a letter of recommendation of Christ himself. God desires that the world sees you and sees Christ, hears you and hears Christ, that the aroma you leave behind everywhere you go, the aroma that you leave to God and to the, to the world is the aroma of none but Jesus Christ. Paul acknowledged that he could not do this. You and I cannot do this in our own strength, but Jesus can. He already has. And if we know him, then this Jesus is in us. And this Jesus has already won the victory. And he has not changed. He is all sufficient. In him we are already made sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. Beloved, he longs for you to know and to walk in, to experience this victory that Paul talks about so often. For too long, we have been fighting worldly battles with worldly weapons. It's an old story for God's people. But our God desires for us to have victory. Christian, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are not worldly. Our battle is not temporal. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our battle is a spiritual one. Our battle belongs to the Lord. And He says, it is not with worldly weapons that we are to fight. It is not for us to decide our battlefield. The battle belongs to the Lord. And it is not by might and nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so, beloved, may this new year be for us a time when we choose the victory that has already been won. Not by trying to apply God's victory to our causes. May we instead, may we see the victory that God offers by repenting of our choice of temporal over eternal. May we see the victory as we surrender our every thought, our every word, our every moment to the purposes and power and the leading of God. May we see victory in our disappointments, in our failures, in our mistakes, as we surrender them to God. For God desires to use every moment. My failure with my friend, and there have been more failures than I can count since that time. And in that failure, and in many others, God has had the victory. Why? Because I allowed him to lead me in triumph. And I returned to my friend and apologized and asked his forgiveness for my harsh words and bad attitude. And God used that apology 
far more than he used my worldly condemnation of my friend's moral mistakes. Why? Because I, who am so insufficient, simply followed. Followed he who is sufficient. Beloved in all things, may we follow in the pattern and the purpose of he who is sufficient. As we follow, he will make us letters of recommendation. As we follow, he will make us the aroma of Christ to God and to the world. And as we follow, he will show us, he will use us to show the world who Jesus really is. For you see, that is really our task. We aren't called to change the world. We aren't called to change a heart. Only God can do that. We are called to represent Christ accurately. By the power of the Holy Spirit, by the leading of God in triumph, We are called to represent Christ in every aspect of who we are. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Father, we come before you in, in repentance. As is the theme for this month, we think of the unity of the church. And Father, as Pastor John has already prayed, we know that in so many ways... We have fought battles we should never have been fighting. We have been consumed with the temporal and forsaken the eternal. The battle belongs to you, O God, and not to us. And so, Father, we repent of going our own way and fighting our own battles. And we simply, by the power of the Holy Spirit within us, by Christ within us, We come behind our conquering general and we commit to following wherever you lead, to following in your way, for you are sufficient. And may, Lord, I pray for our church. I pray for each of us. May we know and live and experience and rejoice in the victory that has already been won as we follow you in all things. Accomplish this in us, O Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Pray this in Jesus' name.